Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Thursday, and this is hour two, which means that next up is Peter Kapsner. And so uh, lift up a little prayer because he's not feeling great, but he is here and he is with us. And for that, we are so grateful. I want to lead off this, uh, this, this hour with a brief conversation about the United Nations. The United Nations is holding its General Assembly meeting in New York City as we speak. Uh, The UN, let me just remind everyone, um, is an organization that was founded in 1945 after the Second World War with the goal of there never being another one. All right. So um, that that was the goal. Fifty one countries committed to, quote, maintaining international peace and security, developing friendly relations among nations and promoting social progress, better living standards and human rights. Uh, Article 1 of the U.N. Charter was then developed, right? So you get, you get a breakdown of what, those, um, what it's going to mean to maintain international peace and security, what it's going to mean to develop friendly relations among nations, what it's going to mean to promote social progress, what it's going to mean to promote better living standards, what it's going to mean to promote human rights. So that's one way of thinking about how the United Nations understands its not only initial mission, but its charter. And so when we talk about refugee resettlement and we talk about the United Nations efforts um, related to that, we're talking there about international peace. We're talking about security. We're talking about the relationships between nations. We're talking about uh, better living standards. We're talking about basic human rights. I mean, so, right, so I just... I think that if you would think about the United Nations, um, not only for what it was originally called forth to do, which was frankly to ensure that there would never be a World War III, um, how that it works itself out functionally is an important conversation to have. Uh, I think that the challenge is most people see the United Nations as not functioning appropriately in in the ways that it was uh, called forth to serve. And part of that um, is that the world is a whole lot bigger than the initial 51 countries that committed to this. In fact, the nations involved in the UN um, now numbers 193, and many of those 193 countries um, would be recognized as actual threats to the very things that the U.N. was organized to thwart. So that's important to recognize. You can actually read the entire agenda of the United Nations this week. That is an interesting, that's just an interesting read. It's a long agenda. Um, If I were in charge of the agenda, it probably wouldn't look like the agenda that they're actually um, uh, working their way through. I would have the global migration of people, 83 million of whom are currently on the move. I would have that uh, 
pretty close to the top of the list of concerns. Now, they're going to talk about global migration. They're going to talk about refugees, but they're going to do so on an agenda that is not particularly prioritized. So there are basically committees that report and then actions are taken based on those committee reports. Um, But in reality, the work of the U.N. is not done at the U.N. General Assembly. It is done um, by the uh, by the organizations that are launched from the U.N., Uh, I think the causes of global migration should be of particular concern. And terrorism and war and famine and, yes, natural disasters um, are all causes of of global migration. And and I also think that bad actors would be uh, – I would – I would have a naughty list. If I were in charge of the United Nations, there would be a naughty list and we would do some public accountability. Um, You can't come to the U.N. and have a seat at the table and be a reprehensible uh, nation that mistreats its own people. Uh, We're we're not going to have that. You're not going to get to be on the Human Rights Council of the United Nations if you do not guarantee basic human rights in your own country. That's not that's not the U.N. that I'm again. This is like right. If I got to be in charge, there you go, which I'm not Um, early on the agenda is the report of the credentials committee. That is a conversation about who actually gets a seat at the table, which brings us to the issue of Afghanistan. The Taliban is seeking a seat at the table. They want to displace the representative of Afghanistan who has a credible seat at the table um, based on the credentialing committee. They want that person unseated and they want that person replaced by a member of the Taliban. Um, the, uh, Afghanistan is scheduled to literally have the last word, the final word at the U.N. General Assembly. And so watch how the table is set. Watch how the name cards uh, are, you know, are printed. Um, all of that happens early on, um, and whether or not the UN would consider unseating a delegate and having someone seated who is a representative of a terrorist organization, that the UN and the United States, which is the biggest contributor to the UN, spent 20 years and trillions of dollars seeking to thwart. Like, that's why we went to Afghanistan was to be sure that the Taliban did not rule. Well, here they are, and now they want a seat at the at the table of the UN. So I would say um, uh, one thing about that. Um, the Taliban has replaced the, the Ministry for Women, and they have seized the Women's Ministry building, and they have replaced it uh, with what they call the Religious Police. And... And let me just say what they intend to do um, through the religious morality police. They intend to suppress women and they intend to enforce Sharia law. And so um, that doesn't win a, say, a, a seat at the table at the United Nations. Uh, well, you know, if I'm in charge. All right. Uh, we're going to have a conversation about population and whether or not If you had six kids, you'd admit to it. Yep, yep, that's up next with Peter Kapsner. We'll be right back. How many kids 
kids do you have, and when have you publicly disclosed that? Dr. Peter Kapsner joins us now on Mornings with Carmen. Peter, how many kids do you have? You know, Carmen, we have five. You've been referencing six, but uh, but we got a pretty big handful when we go out somewhere, that's for sure. All right, so you have five. Um, you seem to know who they are. You've um, you've laid claim to them <laughs> from the beginning. A very high-profile individual uh, named Boris Johnson who, you know, who fathered a child and and everybody took note of it because, well, he's the prime minister and so people were paying attention. But there were lots of questions at, the, uh, at that time about, well, how many kids does he have? Are, are there other kids? Um, and he never answered the question. Now he has admitted he has six. Amazing. It's amazing. And I was thinking about the poor five other children, right, the, to which he's never admitted. Can you imagine being some of those children who publicly your dad won't say that he's actually your father. And I, that just, I don't know, I'm not going to get into the psyche of Boris Johnson's children, but but that can't be good when your dad isn't willing to acknowledge publicly. So that was one part that I was thinking about in the story. The other part I thought was relatively interesting, and I'm not suggesting that Boris Johnson has a moral compass, but he probably has a moral awareness, even if it's a pragmatic moral awareness, meaning that um, his admitting to multiple relationships and multiple children and, uh, and and what that would require from a philandering standpoint, would there's probably a certain segment of the voting blocks and the voting populations in the UK who w- would frown on that. And so I would suggest that his keeping silence was uh, silent was probably a pragmatic decision so as to not alienate people who would suggest that that wouldn't be the kind of morality they're looking for in a leader. So it just is interesting to me in a, in a time of such intense secularization where the church doesn't necessarily have a voice in the culture in the way that it used to, there's still enough moral awareness that says, hey, maybe this whole way of life of, of multiple relationships and, and children from multiple parents um, was, was not uh, the most helpful way forward. So it just it just was an interesting story. I guess the last piece, too, you could probably swim around in for a bit would be, again, I don't know Boris Johnson's household, but when I look at the fracturing of King David's household, right, where he had multiple children with multiple wives, um, in, in today's day and age, if, if you and I have 100,000 people listening uh, this morning, there's probably 50,000 of them that know the challenges of a fractured household. And it, and it doesn't mean God can't bring those households back together towards good. But even King David was told that for the rest of his life, there there were going to be some difficulties moving forward in the household. So it's a really interesting story from a number of angles. It is a really interesting story, and it's it's worth our serious, you know, conversation and consideration. We could have a conversation about the right order of things, like the way God has designed um, things to work. And then we could talk about the the reality of brokenness and sin Yep. I think that it's going to be hard for Boris Johnson going forward to avoid very real conversations and very real scrutiny related to um, the conversations that cycle around, like, population. And, I mean, the royals get—they get chastised all the time for having more than two children, right? So right, um, right. I think that the—you know, like, so who gets to be in charge of how many kids somebody has? Well, clearly that is not a decision for the public to be making— but it does it is one of those conversations that social engineers insert themselves into all the time and it i think that it's a provocative it's a provocative conversation for people to have like you know who children are a gift of god they're but they're also a sacred trust and what is it again back to your original observation 
what does it mean for a father to not have publicly owned you your whole yeah. life? And and that gets us to the question or the conversation about fatherlessness and abandonment. And I just think that there are lots of layers of conversation that this uh, Boris Johnson headline opens up. It, it does, Carmen. And, and we're right in the middle of my uh, of a conversation in my sexuality class that goes for 14 weeks here at the semester at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And the conversation is... Um, how God, in the opening of Genesis 1, out of this this sort of beautiful love and passionate energy, you can see all of this within the Hebrew language itself, he created moving forward, and then he um, told his imagers on earth, the male and the female, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, to be fruitful and to multiply. And, and we're mining into all of that about the importance and what you just said, the sacred trust of bringing forth more imagers in, in, out of this place of, of a beautiful um, passionate love that the male and the female, when they enter into the sexual union, that can, among other things, bring forth the future and bring forth more stewards, more imagers into this world. It's meant to be in this in this beautiful, unfettered, joyous, committed kind of relationship. And then they're meant to shepherd their imagers that are brought forth from there. We need to have these conversations over and over and over again, because we see that uh, that God can bring back together for good any kind of fracturing, any kind of pain, any kind of mistakes that we make um, when we're willing to come back in humility and repentance. But the design is absolutely that that two shepherds, male and female, would help in this in the sacred opportunity to bring forth more of God's sacred image on this earth. It's it's an incredible responsibility. And when you get your head around that, you can start to see, oh, no wonder we are having such trouble on so many different levels because the imagers themselves have been totally fractured, as you've said, with fatherlessness and and divorce and and the rampant sexuality, all of this. We, we've really gone to a Romans 1 place where we've, we, we have begun to worship the created instead of the creator, and, and no wonder we're heading this direction. All right, Peter and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about just the desperate desire to be in relationship and how easy, how easy it is um, via... Uh, social media and the technology available today for people to be scammed. And so we have a story next um, that we just want to talk about in terms of relationships and maybe how we need to be looking out for each other um, more intently. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, I read a story on uh, Market Watch. My recently widowed father, 68, met a woman on Facebook and sent her Bitcoin so they could meet. Um, the layers of this story, Peter, um, really remind me that we need to be intentionally reintegrating people into relationships because the world is awash in people seeking to scam, take advantage of those who are isolated and um and technology enables it. Yeah, it really does. And, and before getting into more of the serious part of this story, would you even know what to do or where to go if somebody asked you to send Bitcoin? I would have no idea how to even purchase Bitcoin. I, I, I know it's all the rage these days, but would you know what to do? No, but it didn't take me very long. I Googled Bitcoin for beginners and CNN told me how. <laughs> Okay, well, well, there you go. And it is a sad story. He did. He was he was a a, a recently widowed man and uh, experiencing the understandable loneliness of that widowing. And I think he was in his late seventies at that point. But uh, I think to your point, 
we are very susceptible, specifically in American culture, to loneliness. And there's so much to love about our country. I mean, there really is. I really, there's um, the, the freedoms that we enjoy, the expansive space in which we can live, um, the, the, the wealth of the country compared to so many other places in the world. There's so much to like about our country, and I really do like it. But one of the significant downsides of living in our country is that um, we, we live in an era of what I would call hyper-individualism, um, where we even raise our kids to be sort of disconnected from one another and to be disconnected from family. And, and that's sort of like the highest social good, right, is to launch your kids and let them make their way in their life, let them become whatever they want to be. We're in, we're in the midst of wrestling through that with our 21 and 19-year-old right now, too, is what does it mean to launch into the world, but not to then be then just disconnected from family. And, um, and when you look at the biblical view of relationships and family, Carmen, we're meant to do this as individuals hyphen in hyphen community hyphen. We're both. We're, we're individuals, but we're also caught up in a bigger community and in a bigger story. And so the isolation and the loneliness that is so epidemic in our country, not just for older people, but for younger people as well, is a result of, of serving a kingdom that isn't actually the kingdom of God. It's the, it's the kingdom of individual rights and individual happiness and individual pursuits that unfortunately we've blended in to think it is the kingdom and it's not. And so this is where what you just said, I think the church has a tremendous opportunity to live as the connected body together and to really truly look out for each other, to not just mirror the kingdoms of America by having a, a, a church shopping organization where we create products and try to get people through the door, but to really teach people how to live once again in, in sort of this relational community, uh, even even a bit akin to the Acts 2 community, right? Where they're just, people are looking out for each other. They're hanging out together. They they have each other's goodwill in the forefront of their minds. And, um, and we're not living in relationships that um, of affinity based or or we you know what we can get out of this relationship or transaction based we really do genuinely care and love one another a, a lot of people don't have family to do that anymore we just got done talking with the boris johnson segment about fragmented families and so the church has a tremendous opportunity to come around people that could be victims of fraud, victims of scam, victims of just just of anything really in life. So there's a lot of angles you and I could go with this about the intense loneliness. But if listeners this morning are feeling lonely and feeling isolated and fractured and confused, it, it's not because you're a horrible person. Uh, it, it's it's because we are are swimming in the waters that has created that kind of reality uh, in our country. Again, a country I love, but a country that does have some downsides. All right. New widows and widowers, that is a category of people I just want you to alert yourselves to and think about how you can reach out, how you can connect, how you can um, befriend. And there's another group as well. And those are all of the kids who are going to age out of foster care um, in the United States this year. It's like 23 to 25,000 kids every single year who age out of foster care. They are immediately homeless and they have no um, they have no network. They have no family network. And so um, there's a lot of people out there struggling in isolation and loneliness who need to be connected to a family. And we have the very best one, uh, the family of faith. And so let's invite people into the household of God um, and let's do so in ways that are real and tangible. All right, Peter, we got to leave it right there. We hope you feel better. Thanks for joining us, even um, even though you weren't feeling very good today. Um, appreciate you so much, brother. Yeah, you too, Carmen. I'm not exactly known as a warrior when I'm sick, so I haven't ever been accused of that. But boy, you sure brought a lot of life and joy into my morning, so I appreciate it. Have a great rest of the morning. Thanks. You too. We'll be right back. 
right, we are the sons and the daughters of God. We are members of the household of faith. Do we know who we are? This is a conversation about identity and claiming our freedom, embracing the adventure into which God invites us. The book is I Am. Sons and Daughters is the full-fledged movement. And Alec Bevere, one of the sons of Sons and Daughters of the Bevere family, joins us next. This is Max Licato. There are so many things we don't know. We don't know if the economy will dip or if our team will win. We don't know what our spouse is thinking or how our kids will turn out. And Scripture reminds us we don't even know what we ought to pray for. But according to Paul's words in Romans 8:38, we can be absolutely certain about four things. We know God works. He is ceaseless and tireless. God works for our ultimate good. God works for the good of those who love Him. And God works in all things, not in a few things, in all things. Puppet in the hands of fortune or fate, not you. You are in the hands of a living, loving God. Your life, a crafted narrative written by a good God who's working for your supreme good. This is Max Lucado. Joining us now, Alec Bevere. Just brace yourselves because this is going to be a really fun conversation. Uh, Alec is the creative director. Uh, He is a film director. He's a speaker. He's an actor. He is one of the Bevere clan. We'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, It says in his bio that he lives to connect people to the God who makes the impossible possible and that his name means the defender of mankind. And so that's what he is fighting for. Alec Bevere, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. How are you today? And good morning to everyone else who is listening. I hope you're having an absolutely wonderful start to your day. Well, thank you so much. I am well. It is well with my soul. It is fun to talk with you. Um, the project is uh, is bigger than just the book. The book is I Am, Find Your Identity, mm-hmm. Claim Your Freedom, Embrace the Adventure, but the project is Sons and Daughters. So talk with us about Sons and Daughters. I mean, certainly this this publishing debut, but who are the Sons and Daughters? What is Sons and Daughters and what's your role? Yeah, 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 for sure. So so Sons and Daughters, it's it's really bigger than an individual. Uh, we like to think of it as, as it's a collective. So it, it's a collective of young adults um, that are starting up an initiative to help other young adults discover the adventure and the freedom and the purpose that's found in their creator. And it started by, as as you were saying, uh, myself and then also some of the other Bevere clan. Uh, and, and that started back in 2017. And it started out as just just, hey, we wanted to post some videos. We wanted to um, just get people connected to their creator. As I said, just get them just excited about this adventure called life. And then it just started to just blow up. And so, um, yeah, that, that's just a little bit of the, of the backstory. But Sons and Daughters, like I said, it's, um, it's, it's something that is more of a, of a collective. And, um, yeah, it's just here to, to support the, the local church. All right, so you guys can check it out at sonsanddaughters.tv, sonsanddaughters.tv. Um, so 
I want to talk about the family business because initially mm. when um, when we learned about sons and daughters and we learned about this particular book project, um, right? I could talk to Alec. I could talk to Addison. I could talk to Julie. I could talk to Arden. I could talk to Christian. These are all Bevere's. So I, I would love mm. for you to like, there's a, there's something here about the Bevere family business being the business of God and it's generation to generation. And that is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I think that that I could say, you know, maybe that is because, well, if if you don't know who John and Lisa are, they're both two amazing authors and speakers, and we all have big personalities, and we all actually had very different, unique struggles within our family, and um, we all had very different, un- unique perspectives on life. And uh, what's pretty amazing is we all even work um, together. And we all run different aspects of of the of the ministry of the organization, and um, it's just amazing because God kind of brought all of us together. We all have um, my parents have done a real good job of of helping realize these different giftings on our life, and really making it really made sure that um, those different giftings, those those different attributes, would actually be brought out in different ways. But I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I, I can't really say. Um, just, just why it is. Um, but I mean, um, yeah, I, I guess it's really just because I, my parents have done a really good job of fostering something in us of making sure that we discover our purpose and our identity. And I think that just really helping us walk out in that calling. So thank you, because I think that is yeah. a part of, right. That is the, that is the testimony of how, you all come to the place where you have the credibility, even as very young adults, to tell other people or invite other people how to discover their calling, mm. um, how to uh, understand, you know, who they are because of who God is, the, the I am part of this conversation. And so I, I, yeah. I thank you for digging around in that and tilling into that Um as siblings, as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters, you guys run different aspects of the organization, as you have said, or different aspects of the collaborative effort. Talk a little bit about what what is a creative director and and how I mean, how do you know that that's what you're good at and your role? Well, you know, honestly, um, it's kind of funny because I was probably the biggest problem child out of the whole family. So whenever I was young, I actually. Uh, was flunking school um, very badly, and this was actually at a early age uh, within uh, elementary school. And they're like, "Hey, you know, it seems like something's you know off with, with with this kid." And then by the time I got to middle school, they realized that they're like, "Oh, wait a minute, Alec may have some learning disabilities, and maybe Alec needs to go into special education." And then so I was in special education, and then in high school, I still had D's and F's. And it seemed like I was somebody who was definitely on track to just kind of being a nobody. And, uh, and it felt like I was somebody who was really stuck. I felt like it, I was somebody who really couldn't get ahead in life. I felt like I was somebody who was always behind. And I, I felt like, you know, honestly, Carmen, I think the best word would actually be stuck. Now, you're probably like, what does this have to do with being a creative director? What exactly are you talking about? Well, um, what was crazy is, is my parents, they did a really good job of actually seeing that, Hey, you know what? Um, 
there something of course is going on with Alec, but he needs to actually see himself differently. Like right now he has never kind of seen himself as more. And so they, they came to me and they said something that really stuck out to me. They're like, Hey Alec, you know, your teachers say that you're, you know, that like, you're like this, that like, that, that, that you'll never get ahead, that, that you have all these different learning disabilities. And then, you know, your brothers have sometimes even made fun of you. Your, your friends and other kids at school have made fun of you. And, you know, we have even said that you're certain things at certain times, but Alec, you need to discover who God says who you are and what God says about you. And what's crazy is, is then that actually put me on a journey of actually discovering two of the things that are within the I am book to help me get unstuck and to actually move forward. But one of the biggest revelations in my life was actually that I am creative. And it's amazing because once I pulled in um, this belief, what happened was, was then I, I started to find so much freedom. I started to find so much freedom and I started to walk out and these different giftings in my life. And so, so, so you say, what exactly does it look like as being a, a creative director? Well, it doesn't actually mean that I'm actually the most creative person on staff. Um, it actually means that I get to do exactly what my parents did for me. I get to do exactly what other people in my life did for me and actually um, notice creativity and bring it forth. Um, but I mean, um, yes, I have done, uh, a, a few different short films. Um, I have done, uh, a few other big projects, uh, for different events. I've been a, a consultant for people as well. And you're going to be like, this sounds like this is totally different from the, from the, for, for, from the guy at the beginning of this story who maybe had D's and F's and was special needs. And it's because, yeah, um, I don't know. One of the biggest things that happened in my life was just the shift in an understanding of who God says I am. So you just became everybody's favorite uh, Bavere because, <laughs> because, well, it's so honest, um, right? And you're so you're so just willing to acknowledge that um, you know everybody is not like uh, living an Instagrammable perfect life, and mm -hmm. just because we live in Christian families doesn't mean we don't struggle with things, and the world sets out before us all kinds of expectations and boxes that we're, you know, that are designed for the masses, but that we don't all fit into those boxes and we're all utterly unique. And you are um, yeah. uniquely designed by God. And I love that you discovered that you're a creative in the spirit of the one who is the great creator and the freedom that has given you and this passionate calling that you have that others would find their calling as well, that that we would know who we are um, and that we would be encouraged to step into our calling as a son or a daughter of God. So, Alec, let's continue this conversation in just a moment. we got to take a very brief break. You guys can find Alec and the rest of the team at sonsanddaughters.tv. The current project we're talking about is actually a book. It's entitled I Am. Find your identity, claim your freedom, embrace the adventure. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Alec Bevere, you can find him on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can also find him at sonsanddaughters.tv. Um, we are talking about the first book by uh, the Sons and Daughters effort 
the book is I Am, Find Your Identity, Claim Your Freedom, Embrace the Adventure. Alec, you're a bit of an adventurer. Um, I, I, I probably should ask about a mountain goat in New Zealand, but I will resist that temptation. Um, let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk about finding our calling. Um, that sounds like mm-hmm. a, a, a really difficult task or something that's really tough. Where do we start? Oh, where do we start? You know, um, calling is a very interesting thing. And uh, I actually like to say um, that you never really know who you are until you know whose you are. Again, I'll say that again. You never really know who you are until you know whose you are. And so I would say calling has a, a, a lot to do with a few different things. It has to do with, A, um, understanding God's word. And, and like we were just talking about earlier, uh, before the break, uh, understanding what God says about you. And then also, um, I would have to say that calling really has to do a lot with actually community. And um, I, I also like to say that community creates clarity. And, um, you know, the, the book I am, um, it's, it's a book that's by sons and daughters, but it's for sons and daughters as well. So it's a, we wanted to create a community that actually would be a book that, that really is a community. The book is a community. The Sons and Daughters movement is a community so that you can actually be around a community, even if you don't feel like you have a strong Christian community where you're at, if you don't feel like you have a strong community that actually is going to be speaking towards your calling and things like that. So uh, again, Carmen, I'm so sorry. I answered this the, the, the long way, but I would say to find your, your calling, it's a very big thing. Um, but really, um, it's about, um, knowing whose you are. And it's also about having that community to create that clarity. Um, so no, that is a, that is a great answer to the question. Um, and I think that there's a part of this, Alec, that, uh, maybe I'll add a word to what you said, because the finding requires a seeking. And so Mm, I think that, I think that part of maybe maybe what I'll offer to you today, um, you are really, you are just this beautiful evidence that there is a lot to be found out there. Um, there's a lot to be found out about ourselves. I mean, your sort of adventuresome spirit, your desire to um, to seek in order that you can find is a part of like your creative genius. And so um, I just wanted to affirm that. Um, I love that the uh, book is are. designed. Yeah, I love that the book is not designed to be a destination. The book is really designed to foster um, foster community. That is that really a unique aspiration for a book. Can you talk about how if I engage with the material in the book, how does how is it designed to then help me create and connect with community? Yeah, well, actually, um, so what, what's pretty uh it's pretty amazing about sons and daughters is um, so the I am book, it actually started off with, uh, with the community of people coming together, as we've already talked about, about the sons and daughters team, and then actually a, a bunch of other team members. And then we actually reached out to other people because what, what you're asking the question of calling, it's not really um, something that's simple uh, as you were just saying something that can be answered right away. And so we actually reached out to all these different people and they actually wrote in, 
um, for the I Am book. And these are all different people who we looked up to, who are respected, and then also people who um, who were a part of the Sons and Daughters community. So, so you say, how, how do you be a part of the Sons and Daughters community? Well, we actually even have a program that is now in over uh, 50 different countries. And uh, people, they can actually get connected within actually small different groups. And uh, this is all just, all just on the Sons and Daughters website. Um, but you can connect with actually different groups about different things that actually you feel that maybe you have giftings within your life and different people who you want to get connected with that might be along the same exact track of your giftings or even just your track and your season of life. All right. So that is really cool. Um, and so there's a there's a podcast, there's a group, there's an ambassador program, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of resources. You guys, uh, it's one-stop place to do this, and that's sonsanddaughters.tv. Um, when yes, we talk ma'am. about stepping stepping into fullness, I think, you know, there's just probably so many people listening right now mm. um, who are like, you know, full. I'm, I am I am desperately close to empty. Like fullness seems really far away sometimes. Um, maybe just a word of encouragement to people who feel really disconnected and right there on the verge of utterly empty. Yeah, you know, um, if you heard the first part of our talk, um, everyone, I, I just want to say I, I understand exactly where you're at. And and I understand that um, whether it be something that, you know, you feel empty, that you feel like you maybe haven't really found like what what is your niche what what really makes you special what makes you come alive yet um that was for me whenever i just didn't really know what what, what my giftings were but then also um i know that you can feel stuck even whenever you do have um the, the actual uh maybe m- maybe you are like you're working at a great job but actually you do feel stuck or or, or you're working and you're you, you have a great family or you have a great relationship, but for some reason, something, you know, just feels off a word of encouragement for you is that, you know, your God actually cares more about your situation than actually even you care about it, that your God cares more about you succeeding than actually you even care about succeeding. And you were talking earlier, uh, Carmen, essentially about being intentional, essentially about that seeking, about that finding. And, you know, the, the word of God promises that, you know, if you seek, that you will find. And that there's this wonderful uh, Sermon on the Mount that we all know whenever Jesus, he was, he was speaking and he said, hey, what father, whenever a son asks for a gift, would actually give them, or, or, or excuse me, ask for a, a loaf of bread, would he give them a snake? And then he talks about essentially why, like, God doesn't want to actually give you bad things, that actually he wants to give you something incredible. He wants to actually, he wants you to succeed more than you want to succeed. And, you know, normally Carmen, I'd say whenever I reach myself at that rough time, I I have to realize that, you know, God actually is on the other side of this battle. God is on the other side of this and God actually wants me to win. And that actually um, really helps me get through, whether it be a tough project I'm working on, whether it be a tough season I'm going through, whether it be maybe a rough uh, time that's going through maybe a relationship that I know that God wants, even like my family, if my family um, and, and I, maybe we're struggling through something, we're trying to get something figured out that he wants us to succeed more than we want to succeed. Mm. That's so good. 
That's yeah. so good. Alec, thank you so much. What a blessing. Give uh, give our affectionate greetings to uh, the entire Bevere tribe. Um, we Absolutely, we really, Carmen. Yeah, love what you guys are doing. Um, that is Alec Bevere. You can find him and the rest of the crew and all that's going on at sonsanddaughters.tv. Connect with this new collaborative of young adults seeking not only to discover uh, who we are individually, but to be drawn together into community that the world might, you know, frankly, that the world might come to know and be blessed. All right. Thank you, Alec. Uh, We got to close out our conversation with Alec, but we will be right back. All right. Uh, thank you to each and every one who, you know, I, I just love that you guys just, you know, text in and let me know what you're thinking and feeling about things that are happening. Uh, yes, the Bevere family is a great family. I'm so blessed by God uh, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, including you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.